Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Cambridge Registered Professional Nursing. If you're planning to have any event of any size and you want to make sure you're in a safe COVID-free environment, contact COVIDEventPlanning.com or call 631 334 9294. Whether it's a wedding, business gathering, private affair, or a wrestling convention, Cambridge has you covered. Cambridge offers you quick results that can be provided right at your venue. Again, you can call 631 334 9264 or visit COVIDEventplanning.com. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Tim Duggan. Oh! Oh, my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Jimmy Bad the Boogie Woogie Man. This is Cody Rose, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Nick Foley. Hey, man, what's up, guys? It's Homicide. Oh, that's my homie! I'm a big Hi, this is Barry Horowitz, Mr. Technical. Congratulations to the power trip. It's astonishing. And that's technically speaking. Thank you very much. Hey, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. I want to say congratulations to my podcast partners. Listen to Two Man Power Trip and the Triple Threat Podcast or get your ass franchise. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is good old JR Jim Ross. I want to congratulate my friends John and Chad for 100 episodes of the Two Men Power Trip Podcast. It's a great podcast. I'm glad you listened. Those two lads are sovereign offers. Congrats. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Cornette congratulating the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling Podcast for all you doubters out there who thought they weren't going to make it for two weeks, including me. <laughs> eh. 
Nanny nanny boo boo. Hey John, Tully Blanchard here. I was just thinking about 500 episodes, two man power trip, but 500 of anything is a whole lot. And I just want to send my congratulations to you to have the intestinal fortitude to stick with something for 500 episodes of the two man power trip. Congratulations from an old guy, Tully Blanchard out. I love the fans. I love being out there. I just want to give the best performance I can possibly give. It's all worth it because I'll be able to show these people the kind of passion I have for sports entertainment. This is my first love. Weighing in at 237 pounds. I've never seen anybody get into the business of sports entertainment and learn it as fast as he did. Kurt Angle, Olympic champion, American hero. But you have the mentality of sacrifice and commitment. It's a very special and tangible, and Kurt has that. As soon as Kurt addressed the three eyes, Intensity, integrity, and intelligence. I thought, Kurt could really make it. There has been very few talent that have had a meteoric rise like Kurt Angle did. Kurt Angle could do anything. You want a moonsault? Yeah, he can do that, and he'll out-wrestle you. For him to take the ball and run with it and get there so fast and score was astronomical. Angle's done it! He's a competitor that bleeds excellence. Kurt's obviously a tremendous athlete, but what we didn't know was how tremendous of a character he would be. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. I got Olympic gold. Look what I found. I found these pictures. Check it out. A lot of people don't like to be the butt of jokes, and Kurt Angle didn't mind it at all. It's still funny when he puts on that little cowboy hat. Hey guys, how's this look? I feel like a real cowboy. Yippee Kaye! To see a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle acting like a couple of damn idiots. Badges? You got us badges? We don't need no stinking badges. And of course, I will absolutely never forget I'm the sexy Kurt. I'm going to make your ankle hurt. I think I'm cute. I got no medals. I'm just a sexy Kurt. Sexy Kurt. I'll make your ankle hurt. Priceless. The milk truck. My God, it's a damn milk truck! Coming out with a big milk truck in retaliation of Steve Austin is just genius. And he came out and he doused us. Oh my God, it's milk! It's milk! And it's in your hair, it's in your ears, it got everywhere. And it stunk. The million dollar princess has become a dairy queen! Love you, Kurt. One of a kind, phenomenal athlete, 
Well-rounded's not even the word. He'd excelled at every aspect of the game when it came to this business. When you look at some of the greatest matches, you'll find Kurt Angle's name attached to them. Kurt pretty much has given his heart and soul, you know, to the business and to the fans. He's one of the best in the world. There's no question about it. And everybody had to respect him. Everybody. The bar for Kurt was up here. And every time he went out there, he reached that bar. And finally, the last feather in his cap is being in the WWE Hall of Fame exactly where he should be. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Podcast. Champion! Oh, Brock Lesnar's in the center of the ring with no 
nowhere to go. And Big Show missed with the clothesline. Kurt Angle shot up underneath the arm. And Angle slam! And Angle slam to the big man! That's the second one that Big Show got. The first one he was put to the table. And look at Kurt Angle measuring Brock Lesnar. Another one! And Angle slam to the champion! Can Kurt Angle do it? Kurt Angle hooks the leg. He shot him! been a relentless offense oh, by no. Kurt Angle. Well, the problem is too, Mark Henry, not just so good, but he's got that wide base. He's going back to that head scissor again. Oh, oh my God, be careful here. Kurt Angle in all kinds of trouble. He's hanging on to the bottom rope. He's hanging on to the top rope. The 400 pounds on the top rope as well. Kurt Angle is he's close. Got him. He he got him. I think it was Mark Henry that hit first. Wait, it is Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is the world heavyweight champion. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and this is a 500th episode of the two-man power trip. So we had to bring in a very special guest with me to do the intro here today, and he is the former president of WCW. He is known as the boss. He is the New York Times bestseller. He is the only man to ever beat Vincent Kennedy McMahon. He is Mr. Eric Bishop. Eric, welcome into episode number 500. What the hell, JP? You left out WWE Hall of Famer, but I'll forgive you this time. Happy to be and, here on your 500th, man. <laughs> and WWE Hall of Famer, of course. I'm still not. I'm still not used to saying that, but I have to remind myself. You know, it's so awesome that you're in the Hall of Fame because last year everyone was like, "Oh, the NWO, they can't be in if Eric Bischoff's not in." He, you know, he created the NWO. He, he's the man behind the NWO. So it was awesome to see you be inducted the year after by yourself because it's like, okay, now he's getting a standalone as well as everyone knows him as being the architect of the nwo yeah it was pretty cool i was very grateful and and really enjoyed it a ton was it surreal to be back there like how did you kind of feel and what was going through your mind um i mean it was surreal in the sense that it was the first time i'd you know been in a ww arena during the covid and, you know, with the virtual audience and just all the other various restrictions and the limitations that put on people in terms of social distancing, things like that. So the backstage environment was, you know, unique because of that. Um, but other than that, now it's, you know, I don't know why. It, in a way, it always feels like home in a way. But in another way, man... I've, I've aged out of it. You know what I mean? Everybody around me is so much younger and, you know, newer and, and I have very little, you know, personal relationships, uh, with a lot of people anymore. There's still some, you know, particularly on the production side of things. I think I've became, you know, pretty good friends with a number of people on the production side and they're all still there. They don't age out necessarily, but, you know, other than, you know, Randy Orton and, and some of the, you know, great talent that I got to work with when I was working at SmackDown for a brief period of time. Um, you know, I got to see Sheamus and Kevin Owens and, and, and uh, people like that, that I, you know, started to work with a little bit that I've really grew fondly of very quickly. Um, but 
other than that, man, there's a lot of people there I don't know, so it feels a little weird. <laughs> Still to feels me, like home, but it feels a little weird at the same time. Yeah, to me, I was like just shocked by it. I was like, wow, I can't believe that they're bringing, obviously, what happened with SmackDown, you're gone. I was like, wow, they must really just be on their mind, though, that they wanted you in the Hall of Fame, and almost had to put you in the Hall of Fame, in, in my view. I mean, you have to put a guy like you in there. Yeah, I don't think, my, you know, my stint at SmackDown had anything, you know, as a executive had anything to do with anything you know it didn't work out it, it, but it, it wasn't you know there was no animosity or anger for i mean it was just it was what it was we both you know we all knew it and particularly vince and i i knew months before you know he pulled the trigger so to speak that it just wasn't working out but it wasn't because of a dislike or disagreements or anything like that it was just you know chemistry so the fact that you know i did a brief stint there as an executive that didn't work out i don't think that played into anything one way or the other with you though it's weird like you not being the boss right i mean you kind of used to it from wcw being the the end all be all almost yeah i'm over it <laughs> it's hmm. it's not odd for me i mean i can easily shift gears look you know when i went to work the first time for wwe you know 2000, whatever it was, two or three, two, I think. Um, I was an employee. I was just like any other piece of talent. Um, and I adapted to that role very quickly. I embraced that new role. I found freedom and comfort in that role. So it's not hard for me to not be the boss. In fact, I prefer not to be, to be very honest about it. Easier on the stress level? It's just, I, I, it's not what I want to do. You know, being being the 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 end of the line, so to speak, or the person with ultimate responsibility, is not fun, and it's important, and you need to have the right person in that spot. But for me personally, the things that I enjoy doing in wrestling have nothing to do with being a boss. It just has to do with the creative aspect of it or coaching young talent and how to get a promo and maybe directing, you know, things backstage and things like that, because those are things I like to do. And I think I'm pretty decent at, um, but you don't have to be a boss to do those things. So you just got to be a part of the team. Right. And we just passed the 20th anniversary, basically of the end of WCW. What is your thought? Like when you think about, wow, 20 years, we almost had it, you know, with Fusion Media Ventures, almost had WWE back and, and running. You have like a weird feeling like, wow, I can't believe that was 20 years ago already. You know, I don't think about it. You know, and, and when I do, if I do, if it comes up in a conversation like this, um, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about how many other great things have happened to me during those 20 years. I mean, my life's, I've lived three careers in, in, in the last 20 years. And experienced some great things. So I, I, time flies. It goes by fast. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years, but um, it's hard to believe I'm 65 years old too. So <laughs> it's just time in general goes by fast. But when it comes to, you know, WCW, I don't really think about the time much. And there was a great 83 weeks. Obviously, you're critically acclaimed and very, very popular and profitable uh, podcast with Conrad Thompson talking about the Big Bang and what could have been. That was a really fun episode, really kind of cool, like what if kind of moment. Yeah, and I, and I haven't done that, you know, until that podcast because I just, as a general rule, shy away from hypotheticals. Just, I just do. Um, it seems silly to me. But in this case, you know, it was kind of interesting to, 
take the facts as we knew them or know them now or both and try to project what might have been a good idea under those circumstances. So it was pretty fun. How's everything going with 83 Weeks? It seems like it's such a, gr a great show. I mean, each and every week, you guys pumping out great content. You guys keep getting more and more popular. You seem to be easy to open up. I mean, you're not talking about short episodes here. You're very easy to kind of open up. Is that uh, something that you really, really enjoy doing each and every week? It's the most fun thing I do every week. It, it really is. I look forward to them, and I intentionally um, do mine on the weekends so that I'm not distracted with other things that I have to do. <laughs> you know, d during yep. the week, because I like to really have fun with it and just focus on it. And I do them early in the morning when I don't have anything else going on. So I'm, if I want to spend two hours or three hours or more, I can do that without going, okay, well, I've got an appointment or I got a call. I got to make, got to hurry this up. Um, and I really do enjoy doing it. It is, and I mean, this is the most fun thing I do every week. It is great though. Like to hear the perspective of, the guy that beat Vince, you know what I mean? Like, it's awesome. Like I do a show with you and you were on it with Kevin Sullivan, the taskmaster, awesome stuff. You get the booker perspective. We don't get the boss perspective. So it's awesome to kind of relive WCW when you listen to 83 weeks and do that show. Cause I mean, you're opening up, you're not afraid to uh, you know, be honest and give all the true details of what happened. Yeah. I found you know, doing the podcast has been, you know, a it's fun, as I said, but it's also been cathartic in a way. Because for, you know, for so many years, um, there were so many opinions about, you know, what went wrong in WCW and what was going on behind the scenes. And, you know, a lot of that garbage was generated by guys like Dave Meltzer, who really didn't know what they were talking about or were being fed, you know, bullshit information as a rib, probably. Um but, you know, I, I used to, you know, when I hear, when I was confronted with that or asked about when well, I was confronted, but when people would bring those, you know, that narrative up in a conversation, I would just like, not this again. I wouldn't, not, I wouldn't get defensive, but I'd get really not interested real quick. And doing the podcast made me realize that really digging into some of that stuff and having fun with it. Uh, can serve two purposes. One is I can destroy a lot of those narratives with facts. And two is I can have a blast doing it and make a buck or two. So I have a whole different perspective now. Yeah, I, I love that too, because you read so many internet rumors, which obviously 90% of them are bullshit. And, you know, you, you see this and even, you know, friends say this and they think, oh, this has happened to WCW. But it's awesome to have like, well, just listen to 83 weeks or just listen to Eric. He's he's out there dispelling a lot of this stuff that's out there that was bullshit. Yeah, and that's fun. You know, I'm not the only one. I mean, Bruce Pritchard did it before me. And, you know, there's a lot of people doing it now. And I think it's really good. I think it's healthy for the wrestling industry to dissect and critique and when appropriate shred the Cosmo re cosplay wrestling journalists that are out there, you know, publishing this stuff and convincing people it's truth and it's fact and it's from great sources and all that when it's just not. And I think now, you know, because of social media, because of podcasts, because of shows like mine and many, many, many others, um, all these idiots who have been writing all this nonsense for years are being exposed. And I think overall that'll be healthy because the audience will be more informed or at least giving a different, given a different perspective so they can think about it and choose how they want to, what they want to believe. So I think it's a great thing. Sorry, Dave Meltzer. <laughs>
You thought you were you thought you had it all sewn up until podcast came along, you douchebag. The great thing too about it is you start seeing that maybe Terry Taylor, maybe Conan, maybe this guy, maybe that guy, maybe feeding him in, or feeding him information or wrong information. So it's funny, like now that these things are getting out, I think fans are getting smarter and smarter and smarter to the business. You know, I, I like to see more informed because referring to a wrestling fan as smarter to the business can, right. can apply to different things and different meanings. But, you know, I think people are more informed about the business of the wrestling business, just like they're more informed about the business of the sports business. You know, that's why drafts are such a big deal. Well, there's more reasons than that, but you know, salary caps and all of the things that you hear people discussing on sports talk shows, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of that has to do with the business of the sports business and fans are now more informed as a result. And I think the same thing is becoming true in wrestling vis-a-vis the podcast world. What do you think current wrestling can do? Like if like AEW or another promotion to kind of upend WWE, you did it so successfully and, and proof like to the world, it's pretty impossible to beat Vince, but you were able to do it. Obviously 83 weeks. If you even look further, it was a lot more than that. It was really two years of just complete dominance. But what would you say like a recommendation or or for somebody like, first of all, it's not that easy to do it. It's almost, impossible what you were able to do in WCW, but what would be some advice you would give to some promotions, AEW or whoever nowadays? You know, I'm not going to give anybody advice because I'm not in the business anymore. There's a lot of information I don't have, you know, I, I, you know, with, with regard to AEW, I have no idea what the goals of the network are. You know, I have no idea what the strategy to achieve those goals may be. I have no idea what the business plan for AEW looks like. So how can anybody, honestly, now you can do it in a dirt sheet or you can do it as a, just a, you know, kind of a a hypothetical conversation, but man, unless you're in the business, you can't really comment on the business because there's too much you don't know. So I shy away from that, but I, you know, in a general sense, if anybody, no matter who it is, wanted to compete with WWE, you got to go after them. You just got to go after them, not just be in the same business they are, but go after them. Try to take real estate away from them. Try to take audience away from them. That's a war. Everything else is cosplay. And that's okay. Cosplay is cool. A lot of people make a lot of money with cosplay, not being negative about it. Right. Well, it sounds like I am by referring to it as cosplay, but I think you get my point or hopefully mm-hmm. people will get my point. Yeah. It's okay just to be in the wrestling business and be very successful just being in the wrestling business. And there's room for that. And there's room for growth in that position. But when you say, when one says, how do you turn WWE upside down? How do you compete with WWE? That's a different conversation. Now you you're assuming that that's the goal of the network that AEW is on. You're assuming that's the, the growth strategy and the business plan for, for AEW. And if it is, my advice would be fuck, just go for the throat, quit dancing around. You want to, you want to, you want a war attack them on their home front, which is Monday night or Friday night. Go, go after their a show. Don't go after the C show. It doesn't mean anything. Go after their a show and, and produce a better show than them and win the majority of the audience. It's no different than 
a restaurant, you know, if you're putting a, an Italian restaurant up next to a, a Japanese restaurant, you have to provide a product that the people that go to restaurants on that block prefer. It's no different with wrestling, but I, you know, I don't know that that would be a smart thing to do anymore. I, first of all, WWE is a lot stronger now than they were in 94, 95 when I started going after them. Really not until 95 with Nitro. From a financial perspective, they are a much different company now than they were back then. So that made it easier for me to do things that were harder for them to compete with. It was a big expense for them to go from a taped Monday Night Raw or every other episode being taped to going to a full-time 52-a-week live schedule. And they did that because of me or Nitro. Well, that, that was a tough decision for them, and they had to figure out how to afford that. And it pushed them to the verge of bankruptcy. So I've been told. I don't know if that's actually true or not. But <laughs> might have been close. Now? Are you kidding me? They, they're, they're, they're so financially deep, just like AEW is through the parent company. But the WWE, you know, is so financially deep now that it's a lot harder to put pressure on them financially. With you, are you the kind of guy that reflects back? You know, you changed the game in wrestling. You did so many things that we see prevalent today. You were, the, you know, the boss of WCW when they actually beat WWF for so long. Do you look back and reflect and think like, wow, I had quite a career and quite a strong legacy? Or are you not that kind of guy? I'm not. I don't think of it that way. I, I don't. I mean, it, look, it comes up, right? You know, through the course of my podcast, we're talking about things that I did during the Monday Night War era that I'm still very proud of. And I know strategically and creatively had a dramatic impact on the industry overall um, resulted in, you know, a change in the landscape of the, of the business in general that we're still seeing today as a result. I'm aware of it, but I don't like hurt myself, patting myself on the back over it either. Now, this has been quite a journey for us in the show here. We've had 500 episodes. You've been on a few times, which is awesome. We've had the opportunity to have you for a couple autograph signings, which was awesome. Just have a couple beers with you, which was just you know surreal for, for me and for us to be able to do that. It's so cool. But, you know, just for me and, and the show, awesome to be able to kind of be able to have you on and be able to have you on multiple times because such an influence on the business, whether you want to, you know, look back at it and reflect on it or not, because uh, I know Conrad does, and I sure as hell will pump you up for it because you did a lot of good for the business and changed the game forever. We had a lot of fun, man. It was a great time to be in the wrestling business. I'm, I'm, I think more about that than anything, because, you know, you know, I get to put my toe in the water every once in a while at WWE, or I get to put my toe in the water every once in a while over to AEW. And I'm very grateful for those opportunities because, you know, I get to visit some people that I've, I haven't seen in a while. And so in some cases, people that I've known for 20 and 30 years and have worked with. So that's always really important to me. And I'm really grateful for those moments and opportunities. But, I, uh, you know, I, I'm also glad I'm not in the business anymore because it's changed so much. And for me, in the things that were important to me, or I guess still are, um, it's, it's not there. It's just a different vibe. It's a different world. And it's better. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting it was better back in my day. Jeez, I hate even hearing myself say that. But it's just different. And I'm grateful for the era that I got to 
kind of rise to the peak of my career in because it was a cool era. I mean, I got to work with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Roddy Piper and Randy Savage, you know, the warrior for a brief period of time. Not brief enough, but still, I got to work with him. <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. and, you know, I, got, I had a hand in helping, you know, elevate some individuals' careers and, 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 and in some cases guiding it, in some cases just providing opportunity. Um, I was really grateful for that in, in the social environment. You know, and again, it was probably a lot to do with just because Nitro, you know, we were on from eight to 10. Um, and before we were a three hour show and we used to finish up the live show, get back to the hotel, you know, in time to watch the live replay or a good portion of it and just sit down and, you know, celebrate together and, 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 uh, have a great time together while we're watching the show that we just did. And it was a very fun, fun time. And that doesn't really exist anymore for a lot of reasons. And it's probably better that it doesn't, but I'm glad I got to live when I did or experience what I got to experience. I've been a fan for uh, 35 years. So I've lived through a lot of good stuff, good memories, but the NWO to me is the tippy top, just the best. Uh, I love that period of wrestling. And I don't know you can't and the Monday night awards. You can't top it for me. Uh, I know that this generation will say that these guys are great, but for me as a fan, it's just that era is what it is to me. I just love that era. Well, and you, you, you know, you got to understand when I hear those things, I understand them or I try to uh, remember to, but you know, you get a 22-year-old fan today that wasn't around or was too young to realize, well, wasn't around because you, you wouldn't really appreciate Nitro when it first debuted or the NWO or the transition to more reality-based storylines. You wouldn't appreciate that if you hadn't been a fan of wrestling before that. Does that make sense? So yeah. it lets you live through that transition and felt it just hit like a tidal wave and last for three, four, five, six years, the whole Attitude Era, not only just in WCW, but in WWE as well. So unless you lived through that transition and felt how, you know, the wrestling industry just shifted on its axis in July of 1996, you, could, you couldn't possibly appreciate it. So um, feel fortunate. You got, to, you got to live through that transition. It was cool. Yeah. Yep, and coming up on 25 years since Bash of the Beach. Doing is, that? Damn, I keep feeling older every time. Yeah. I get up. <laughs> Just uh, awesome memories. Uh, obviously, some of the best times as a fan. But uh, Eric, this has been awesome to get you a part of the episode uh, 500. I could talk to you forever, but I don't want to keep you too long. Please give everybody, you know, the plugs where they can find 83 weeks, where they can find you, and everything you got going on. Yeah, I mean. We drop every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Wherever you get your favorite podcast, just look for 83 weeks with yours truly. Uh, check us out at adfreeshows.com. There is a ton, a ton of amazing content there. Uh, there's different price levels and tiers. For $9.95, you get everybody's podcast without listening to any uh, commercials, hence the ad-free shows name. But there is a boatload of other incredible content interviews with people that you've not heard from in a long time uh insight from people that you wouldn't expect um and there's some fun stuff too so you can find me at adfreeshows.com or 83 weeks every monday morning wherever you get your favorite podcast nice 
Eric, thank you so much for being part of episode number 500. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Congratulations, my friend, and continued success. edition of the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause and with me is an olympic gold medalist a former iwgp world champion a former six-time tna world champion a former four-time WWE world heavyweight champion a gold medalist the olympic hero the man behind the three eyes kurt angle kurt welcome to the two-man power trip thanks for having me on john no problem man like I always do like a run sheet or like a one sheet of all the stuff. Yours is like, holy, it's like, it's too much to handle. Like I can't do it. It's like crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It took me like a week to, to type everything up. I was like, Oh my God, you got what, what a career, but what have you been up to? What's been going on lately? Oh, just been, you know, the lockdown's been really rough. Uh, you know, the kids not able to go to school as much as they should. Uh, but other than that, everything's going good. I, Start my own supplement company, Physically Fit Nutrition, and uh, started a podcast about two months ago that's doing extremely well. Yeah, the uh, the Kurt Angle show or the Kurt Angle podcast with uh, Conrad Thompson. That seems to be at the top of the charts all the time. How's that going with for you? It's going well. You know, I, we just I tell my story, and you know, it, the good and the bad, the ups and downs. You know, uh, it's it's telling my story so that people. I uh, know they can turn their lives around, you know, because there's so many podcasts out there and yours immediately was jumping the charts. Was that like a little pat on the back for yourself? Like, okay, you know, still a, a very, very popular people still want to hear what I have to say. Well, I was actually surprised. I didn't know it was going to, you know, get that high of a ranking. Uh, it was actually uh, very surprising to me, but it was a pleasant surprise. I was very happy about it. With, you know, that podcast and doing it and stuff, at first, were you uh, a little hesitant to do it, or were you kind of wanting to do it and open up right away? No, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it for six months. And, uh, you know, I talked to Chris Jericho, a wrestler in AEW, and uh, he referred me to Conrad. And Conrad and I got started talking, and uh, he said he would like to do it with me. So we started the podcast, and we're off and running. You Are you pretty much an open book? I'm an open book. I, I've been like that ever since I had the issues, um, you know, the painkiller problem, the alcohol problem, 
you know, I've, I've been very open about it publicly and I, I will continue to. Now, as far as kind of Kurt Angle podcast, different areas of my career. So we started with WrestleMania 19 and then we went to the Olympics uh, those years. And then after that, we did the No Way Out pay-per-view event. Uh, you know, we, we just continue to uh, pick different lapses in time of my career and break it down. As far as WrestleMania 19, obviously the main event against Brock Lesnar, I feel like a lot of people maybe not know, you know, maybe just being fans, they don't realize you almost didn't make it to WrestleMania 19, right? Yes, I broke my neck before the event. Um, I went to a doctor and, you know, I, I have four broken vertebrae and two discs. So uh, Vince McMahon took me off the card, but he wanted me to drop the title to Brock the week before WrestleMania. Just a quick match where he would just F5 me and pin me. And uh, and then he was going to move on to WrestleMania with somebody else. And uh, so it was, it was difficult. I mean, I, I ended up talking to Vince and saying, hey, why don't I just have one last match before I have the surgery? Might as well be WrestleMania. If I'm going to take any bumps, I might as well be WrestleMania 19. And he agreed, and we decided to do it. Your game at that point? Yes. Uh, the match with Benoit, 2003 Royal Rumble, was my favorite match. Uh, Chris was a mirror image of me. He he matched me with intensity, technique, in-ring psychology. He had it all. And it was very easy to wrestle him. And it showed in the match. And you could tell that the intensity was there. And Chris was just fabulous at that. Hey, you guys had just speaking of Benoit, man, the chemistry there was crazy. Even go back to WrestleMania 17 and that whole feud, and then you guys kind of feuded for a really a long time, several years. But I love that Royal Rumble match. And even after the match, you know, he gets that huge ovation in in a loss. He gets the big ovations. Rumble, Royal Rumble when when I left and I stood there waiting for Chris to come back. To See that as being like the, the big WWF feud or WWE feud? Yes, I was surprised they did it so early. I mean. Brian what about when he almost uh, broke his freaking neck? You know, I mean, you're, you're great saying my won the Olympic gold medal with a broke freaking neck. But what about when he almost broke his neck? I mean, that was scary. I thought I wasn't responding. Eventually he did. And uh, I told him, hey, you botched the spot. And he said, I said, can you do it? He said, I think so. And uh, I picked him up and. And that shows you like what a pro you're like, damn, I got to like get to make sure this guy is okay. It's the WrestleMania main event. Like it's got to go off and he's got to win. It's got to go off the way it's supposed to go off. Cause you're going to about to leave. Well, I was more concerned about myself. <laughs> I, I didn't want to hold the title for another week or two. And the videos, they always show him doing it, but they never show him finishing it. And then they show him winning the title. So it's like, all right, we'll just ignore this big screw up that happened. Well, we'll hide it. <laughs> you know why you can't hide that. And, and yeah, even though he botched the spot, it's one of the most famous spots in WrestleMania history. And it's because he botched the spot. So is it a bad thing? Yes, but it's not really that bad of a thing. It's actually a good thing because people will remember that forever. Match at WrestleMania 21 against Shawn Michaels. I feel like every WrestleMania, you, whether you're injured or not, you always kind of came, you know, with everything. He balls out. I always try to do the best I can. And, uh, you know, Sean is Mr. WrestleMania. Uh, he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And uh, I consider him to be the best ever in the business. It was kind of a good dynamic and, and a little bit of a changeup for him. Yes, it was. He, he wanted to match my intensity and uh, 
he he didn't want to uh, be a showboat, so it, it was more of a serious match. And you know, we were, you know, the storyline was I attacked him at the Royal Rumble, and you know, got him really mad. And you know, he was just trying to keep that character intact all the way to WrestleMania. And it's funny too, because with you, I know you have that other side, that like entertainment side, you know, we saw with Steve Austin with the little hat on and, and the milk mania, like also the entertaining stuff. But with Michaels, it was so funny. You're doing his theme song. You bring him back, Sherry Martell and Marty Jannetty. I mean, it's, it's great that we get to see a different side of, uh, you know, an Olympic gold medalist. It's pretty cool. Yes. I, you know, I had the, you know, the ability to, stick my neck out and take chances because of my legitimate background. So, you know, Vince McMahon told me, Hey, keep doing the goofy stuff. I mean, the funny stuff, uh, you know, you're an Olympic gold medalist, you're a badass, and everybody's going to take you seriously when you get in the ring. So it doesn't matter what you do uh, as far as promos or outside the ring, as long as you keep your intensity to do uh, as far as promos or outside the ring, as long as you keep your intensity in the ring, and you're an Olympic gold medalist, so everybody's going to take you seriously. And when, when he told me that, I was able to relax a little bit and, and let go and just have fun. It's so funny, though. Like, remember when you uh, got your head shaved, we were wearing the wig. You know, everyone thinks of, of you as, as, you know, by Edge and that whole thing. Like, that just showed, like, man, you have so much personality. You're wearing the wig. You're wearing the, you know, the head thing. It's just so funny. Yeah, I, I was showing my funny side. I didn't even know I had it. You know, I, I never had a, a funny personality until I got to WWE. And, you know, I realized the more entertaining you are, the more popular you become. So I started letting, letting much fun. I was doing so many funny skits and, uh, you know, ticking the fans off with uh, belittling their town or their sports teams. Uh, it was a blast. I couldn't wait to go to work every week was coming next yeah the the three eyes was great when you would leave the ring and and, and grab for the during the match and x you know for the for the uh for the mic just funny things you know to, to annoy the fans is that something that that came natural or somebody's kind of teaching you this along the way actually my first time Vince McMahon uh didn't tell me anything i went out there on my debut against sean stasiak and uh sean was getting heat on me he had me in a chin lock and uh, the referee says, hey, Vince wants you to beat up Sean, go outside, grab the microphone, and tell the fans you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. And I said, holy crap, uh, I've never done that before. I haven't mm -hmm. trained to talk. I, I was li literally trained to hit it before. And, you know, I, I went out and did it, and I, I, I made it through it. And uh, the fans responded negatively, and it worked out extremely well. So funny. That's so good. So innovative. Nobody really did that before. So, you know, you being not used to it, nobody was really used to it. So it was really cool and different. So great idea by Vince. Yeah, Vince, he comes up with some great stuff. You know, obviously we had a big hand in, in training you and, and The Rock, but I say whenever somebody debuts at Survivor Series, just put like a little like asterisk next to Undertaker, <laughs> The Rock, you. Vince has got big plans if you debut at the Survivor Series. Many wrestlers debut there, but they do. And uh, I actually have no idea why. Just yeah, it's like you, The Rock, Undertaker. It's like it's, you know three of the biggest names in WWE history. So it's just you know fascinating when you do that. Like you're debuting and you're kind of coming along. Do they tell you they have plans for you, or or you know nothing? You're just work, work, work. You just work. You don't. They don't. They don't tell you anything until you need to know, and uh, so you don't have much time to prepare. 
And I, I don't think it's on purpose. I just think they're so busy with all the other talent and the guys that are already on TV that they have to work through the promos and the matches. And, you know, they, they don't have time to get worry about everybody. So they tell you're going to debut and they don't tell you what you're going to do till that day. Oh, wow. So they don't even kind of tell you like, okay, we love this guy, Kurt Angle. We have big plans for him. They don't give you any kind of inkling of, of what they have in store for you. No, I honestly thought because I wasn't really working on promo skills and I was just working on my wrestling. I honestly thought they were going to use me for the main event uh, TV shows on the weekends. I, I really, uh, main event level, it would probably be opening mid card. And uh, the thing is when I, when I was dazzling Vince with my, you know, my, I guess my talents uh, in, in the ring wrestling and also on the microphone, Vince was like, we got some, something, somebody special. And, um, you know, he just kept feeding me and giving me more titles and more promos to cut. And it was, it was a hell of a ride, especially my first year. Yeah, if you think about it, IC title, European title, King of the Ring. I mean, quite a rookie year. And then you end the year beating The Rock like that before uh, before you really. Maybe Diesel in, in, in 94, but I mean, this was completely uh, something that was just uh, foreign to us. But what a push. Yeah, it was. And, and uh, I was very grateful. I mean, Vince, I, I didn't know he had plans for me until he started really pushing me and you know, it just worked out extremely well. I was very blessed to be a part of that. And uh, Vince always, you know, he never told me, but he always had plans for me. And uh, the thing was, he wanted to start me as a heel because the last time they tried to push a baby face like that was The Rock, and it backfired. So he knew this would backfire the next time, which is what he wanted. He wanted me to be a heel. Uh, people aren't familiar with you when you start out. So they're not going to like you right away. They're going to either not cheer. Uh, they're not, they're not going to say anything or they're just going to chant boring. And that's what they did with me. And th that's when Vince told me to go outside the ring and say, you don't boo an Olympic louder. So uh, th this was all Vince's call and he was dead on with the character. Was it hard for you to go from that, like, you know, very obviously serious, a legitimate Olympic gold medalist, one of the greatest real amateur wrestlers of all time to go to the world of the WWE where you, you know, you have to sell and you, you're not, you know, you're going to be on your back when you're used to never being on your back. And you know, was it a hard transition for you? Cause you made it look easy. Yes, it was hard. I had to forget everything I ever learned the last 20 years, you know, amateur wrestling, you don't show emotion. Uh, you you go for the takedown and the pinfall as quickly as you can. There's no psychology. You don't sell. You don't you don't act like you're hurt. You never show any type of emotion. So uh, in pro wrestling, you have to show the crowd if you're angry or excited or hurt, and uh, you have to be a showman. And you know and and you have to learn how to bump and and sell properly. So selling means pretending that you're getting hit or you know yep. slammed and you're selling your body parts um so it was it was a hard transition because i what i did though the reason why i picked up so quickly is i forgot everything i learned the first 20 years of my career in amateur wrestling and i decided i was gonna start a new career and i was gonna retrain my brain to be a pro wrestler 
And that's why I picked it up so quickly. And I was a great listener. And, uh, you know, to be a, a great leader, you have to be a great listener first. And that's what happened with me. If you're planning to have an event of any size and want to make sure you're in a safe COVID-free environment, contact COVIDEventPlanning.com or call 631-334-9294. They're safe, efficient, same-day testing services for you and your guest. They do weddings, corporate events, sporting events, conventions, private events. There's no waiting on lines. They go to you. They offer PCR, rapid antigen, and antibody testing. They offer health safety officers and symptom monitor screenings. Testing is at any location, any time that is convenient to you and for your guests. It could be any day, and it could even be the day of the event. So whether it's a wedding, business gathering, private affair, or wrestling convention, Cambridge has you covered. Cambridge offers quick results that can provide be provided to you right at the venue. For all your COVID event planning, please call 631-334-9294 or visit COVIDEventPlanning.com. They are safe, efficient, same-day testing to keep you healthy. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because a lot of like amateur wrestlers, you know, they don't necessarily transition well to pro wrestling. It's not like an automatic, but you took to it very easily. Obviously, like we were talking about, you showed a lot of entertainment qualities that are good with WWE. So it, you took to it a lot better than, you know, many other people at that high of a level. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing if you really look at it. Well, I think that the other wrestlers that didn't succeed as much um, probably uh, just couldn't turn off the amateur wrestling uh, background. They just, they, they, they continue to be aggressive. Uh, well, like when I started pro wrestling, um, I didn't do one offensive move my first three months. I wow. bumped, I sold, um, I didn't, I didn't want to do anything offensive. So uh, in, in amateur wrestling, you're not, you, you, you do everything offensive, you know? So when you get in that ring, you want to crush your other opponent. You want to go after him. You want to smother him. And I think that's what happened with a lot of these amateur wrestlers when they turned pro. They didn't turn off what they learned their whole life. It's just funny to see, but uh, it's great because WWE fans tend to remember uh, a lot of the entertainment stuff. Uh, they remember moments, you know, the yep. milk truck moment when I drove the milk truck into the arena. Uh, you know, the cowboy hat uh, stints with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, me singing Sexy Kurt, uh, Battle Raps with John Cena. Uh, they remember those moments. Those are the most important things. And that's what I tried to express to the wrestlers when I got my Hall of Fame induction. And I told them they're going to remember moments. you got to think of moments that you can do, but the fans will remember you forever. How did that Hall of Fame come about? Did Triple H get in touch with you, or is that a Vince thing? That was a Vince thing. He... Uh, he decided that he wanted to bring me back. And, um, you know, I, I told him I still wanted to wrestle. He said, we'll get to that eventually, but we want to induct you in the Hall of Fame. And I said, well, I'm not retired yet. You're supposed to be inducted in the Hall of Fame when you retire. Right. And he said, we want to induct you in the Hall of Fame. Vince came into the room, congratulated me, and said, hey, you're going to start as GM of Raw tomorrow. And I said, Vince, I, I wanted to wrestle. He said, we'll get there. So. I think that the reason Vince didn't want to do it 
is because of my history with uh, painkillers. Um, you know, I, I think that he couldn't fully trust me yet. And uh, also the, 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 the neck injuries, you know, I, I, I think that Vince felt I was somewhat of a liability. So he didn't, you know, want to take a chance with me. And I understand that. He let me wrestle eventually, but the matches were very brief. And a lot of times I just lost. And uh, I knew that Vince didn't have any plans for me. And that's why I decided to retire. I, I did lose a step, though. I mean, you know, when I got inducted to Hall of Fame and then became GM of Raw, I stopped getting in the ring for a year and a half. And my body got very arthritic. You know, at 50 years old, you know, your body's going to, not hold up, especially with all the punishment I took throughout my career. And uh, I just knew that um, I wasn't the same me. So I decided to retire at WrestleMania 35. Is that one of those things that maybe you should kind of go out on your own terms, like who you wanted to wrestle? Did you get to wrestle all the guys? I knew you did the quote unquote farewell tour, but Baron Corbin seemed like an odd opponent for like the last match of, of a legendary career. You know what I mean? It, did you get to go out the way you wanted to go out? No, but Baron was great. I, I enjoyed working with him. He, he's a great talent. Um, I, I did want to John Cena as my retirement match because I started his career. I wanted him to end it. Uh, but Baron Corbin, we were doing a program. Actually, I started a program first with Jason Jordan. And uh, yep. when Jason got injured, Baron uh, took where uh, Jason left off and uh, took his spot. And we, we continued the program the same way. So Jason was going to end up being assistant GM and, and then taking over the job, just like Baron did. And uh, when I told Vince I wanted John Cena at WrestleMania, he said, we have a program going right now. We've been on it for five months. we got to finish the program at WrestleMania. That's Baron Corbin. If you want Cena, you're going to have to wait till next year. And I said, well, I'm going to retire this year. So let's just do it with Baron Corbin. It's just interesting to me because the Jason Jordan thing, him being your son. Yeah, that was kind of like more comedic and, and silly. It was like, come on. Like, did you mind <laughs> doing that? Or you're, you're, you know it's just entertainment. It's like you just got to laugh it off. I just think that Vince has a, a crazy personality and uh, he thought that it would get a lot of interest from the fans. It would raise some eyebrows and it did. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty funny, but um, you know, I, I understand why he did it, but Jason's a great talent and uh, I'm glad he picked him. I just I'm very sad that Jason wasn't able to fulfill uh, what he was supposed to do. Uh, we were going to have a program at WrestleMania and I think his career would have blossomed. And uh, it's just unfortunate what happened with him with his neck. Would you have wished it as like an afterthought? Did you did that go through your mind? Like, oh, this should be a little bit more prestige to it. I think because of the time that we had allotted, uh, you know, six minutes, it, it, it wasn't going to uh, from uh, more of a um, sparingly point of view. So you're not going to have the 30 minute match allotted time you're going to have five or eight minutes and that, that's all we got for WrestleMania. So um, would I have wanted more time? Yes, but it, it was fine the way it was. Were you happy though with the whole return run? Were you happy in general with it? Yes and no. I mean, if, if they would have started me out wrestling when I returned, I was ready. I was wrestling consistently. Uh, even when I took a year off, I went on the indie circuit and kept myself busy, kept myself in shape because I knew WWE was going to call on me. And uh, 
So, yeah, I was a little disappointed that, you know, I, I, I thought that, you know, being a top talent like I was, I thought that I would get a possible title run, and I didn't come anywhere close to that. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, you know, it's a huge name to return. They they need star power, especially, you know, at that point. I just, I you know, not that they did wrong or anything, but, you yeah, know, business is business. But I always thought, like, man, like, could have been something bigger. You know what I mean? So, I know it's one of those things that, as a fan, I just look at it. And it's like, man, I don't know. Like, eh, I don't know if that was as good as it could have been. I think a lot of fans were uncomfortable with it, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, to go to WWE and just kind of, you know, everything drizzled out. It, it was it was what it was, and I, I can't complain about it. I'm just glad that Vince uh, brought me back so I could show the WWE Universe or show them how much I love and respect the fans. And uh, that's what it was all about. My return was for the fans. A lot of people, which is insane to think, it might be true. You may have had a better DNA. Yes, I mean, I had some great years in WWE. I, you know, when I started, I didn't have a lot of experience. I was only... Um, training for about eight months when I, before I started on TV. So, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot of experience and I picked up very quickly, but I still didn't know the psychology, not until about my third year in. And uh, w- once I came to me and, uh, and I was in the prime of my life and that, that, that was the, the, the reason why. And, and uh, also there was some great talent in TNA, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Sting, uh, there, there are a lot of great talent that I could work with, and I knew I would have some incredible matches with them, and I did. Man, your debut with Samoa Joe and that headbutt was that uh, planned? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was almost like, holy crap, this just got real for a minute. That was awesome. Was that uh, planned? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was almost like, holy crap, this just got real for a minute. That was awesome. One of the best debuts um, I've seen. Well, I told Joe I was going to give him a real headbutt. He said, bring it on. So uh, I brought it on and I, I, I cut him open. It was it, it was the hard way. <laughs> and uh, I think he was a little pissed off. Uh, but, um, you, you know, he got up and, you know, it's partly because of his character. He, you know, he was behind me stalking me and he was yep. he had this pissed off look on his face. But, you know, if you know Joe, you know, he was really pissed at the time, too. <laughs> great camera work by them too because you're right it was literally he's like this getting up and then coming after you it, it was one of the like another unforgettable moments like you said like moments people remember i'll never forget that yeah it was a great moment and you know joe and i had incredible chemistry and we we had the highest pay-per-view buy rate in tna yep. history with that match uh so i was um pleasantly surprised that we were able to draw that many pay-per-view buys and it was it definitely was an incredible moment. Yeah, locked down in in the cage. What? Yeah, that man, awesome, awesome match. And like you said, it was the highest rated uh, or highest bought pay per view in TNA history. So obviously, the fans were interested in you and Joe big time for years. Interested in that feud. Yes, Joe was undefeated. He he had like 120 wins, and zero losses. And when I came in. I think the upper office said they've got to put him with Joe right away. I, I didn't agree with beating Joe uh, my first match. I thought, you know, we should uh, put Joe over, and then eventually I beat him. And, uh, you know, but, but Dixie Carter had bigger plans for me, and she wanted me to beat Joe and end his undefeated streak and move on to the world title. Interesting that you didn't want to. 
get the win. I mean, that shows even the psychology at that point, you're thinking smart. Yeah, I was thinking money, you know, and, yep. and uh, a buildup. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of time to get that match built. So, you know, having extended periods of time will get us uh, to a better place so that we could sell more pay-per-view buys. And then the highest um, TV buy rates usually were you versus Sting on TV. I remember an empty arena match. You guys did over 2 million viewers. I mean, you and Sting was money and had a great match at Bound for Glory. It had a, a long run and a great feud together. Yeah, we, we had good chemistry. Sting is an incredible athlete, uh, especially for the character. It was the person inside the character. And uh, he has a no-die mentality with Jeff. Jeff. He was a very solid worker. Uh, not an incredible athlete. He was a good athlete, um, but his work uh, rate was incredible. He, he, he was one of the better workers in the business at the time. I'm surprised that they went there, you know, because that could be a little close to home, right? You know, like, wow, they're really going to do this feud. It definitely got a uh, reaction. It definitely got people interested. But it's one of those things where, wow, I can't believe they're going to go there. These two really, you know, maybe hate each other in real life. Oh, no, I never hated Jeff. Uh, that, that, there was no problem there. It was, you know, it, it was what it was. And, you know, it, things happen. And, you know, uh, I'm in a better place in my life now. And I'm sure they are, too. So. Uh, I never had issues with Jeff and uh, never did, never will. TNA, too, you mentioned AJ Styles. I always just think, like, man, the matches you guys had, it like just uh, tore the roof down many, many times. And it was funny. It's like they always went back to that well, I felt like, for years. You know, it's like, we need a good match. We need some, put AJ and, and Angle together. It just <laughs> always felt. just has every, everything. Um, you know, his in ring psychology, his athletic ability. Uh, his technique, he he is definitely uh, one of the best wrestlers in the world today and I think ever. I mean, AJ is very special. When you work him, you barely break a sweat. He does all the work for you. He flies around and bumps and feeds. is not that hard. AJ was just that good that he made his opponents look better than they were. Yeah, which is a skill in and of itself. You had that skill as well. You could always kind of bring the best. Well, wrestlers think two, two separate things. They think one, the one wrestler thinks, I want to make the match as good as possible. I want to make my opponent look better than he, he actually is. And the other side is, I want to get my stuff in. I want to get all my offense in, make sure I get it in whether I win or lose. That's not going to help the match. So you have to be more giving. And AJ and I were that kind of people. And we, we always did it. Now, as far as like you and your career and stuff, looking back though, do you have any regrets in, in wrestling? Is there anything that you regret? Yeah. My painkiller problem breaking my neck in 2003, I was introduced to painkillers and, um, you know, I loved them right from the start, you know, when one didn't work cause your body builds a tolerance. I started going to two, two went to four, four went to eight before I knew it about six months and WWE knew nothing about this. I was hiding it from everybody, but I, about six months, and WWE knew nothing about this. I was hiding it from everybody, but I was taking 65 extra strength Viking in a day. And, wow. Uh, I, was, I was just a, a, a train wreck. And uh, I, I didn't know how to uh, fix the problem. And, you know, I, I had to leave WWE. I had to uh, step away and... Uh, get myself straight, and uh, that's what I. That's why I left and went to TNA, 
and I went to a reduced schedule where they didn't make me work as much. It's so interesting, though, like the way that happened. It was definitely a low point in your life. And then you t- turned it around and had such a great run in TNA that I think shocked some people because people are like, TNA, you know, what's going on over here with TNA? But at one point there, it was awesome. You were the world champion, the X champion, the tag champ, and the IWGP world champion. So there's that awesome picture of you with all the belts. So, I mean, you completely turned it around, low point to getting, you know, more of a high point in your life and career. Yeah, I was still struggling in TNA. I got oh, the painkiller okay. problem under control, but. You know, as an addict does, I, um, you know, I switched to another drug. Uh, I was having an anxiety of breaking my neck again. So a doctor put me on Xanax and I was supposed to take one every four hours. And instead, I would save it for the nighttime and get obliviated and uh, 12 pack of beer. And uh, oh, wow. that, that got me four DUIs in five years. So my, my, I was a trek in TNA, too. I mean, as far as my career, I was spot on. But in my perfect, I, I was pretty messed up, and I, I knew that uh, I need to do something about it. And Dixie Carter allowed me to go to uh, rehab, and uh, WWE uh, paid for it, thank God. And um, you know, Dixie uh, stuck with me every step of the way. I, I owe her uh, a debt of gratitude, and also Vince McMahon for allowing me to go to rehab. Vince always gets a bad rap that he's evil. Not so much. I mean, that's just that's great that they both did that for you. Saved your they're life. Actually, they're actually both great human beings. What you see on TV with Vince isn't the real Vince. He's, right. He, uh, you know, he he likes to, you know, he likes to ham it up a bit, and uh, you know that, that that's his thing. He, you know, he's he's the best wrestler in in, in history. In other words, <laughs> when he wrestles, everybody watches. You know, and uh, yep. You know, he does these looks with his eyes, you know, when he's going crazy and he's mad. Talking about, you know, having the addiction, but kind of bringing it back and redeeming yourself. Being a world champion. Remember, remember me as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time that overcame adversity and uh, made it possible to live a better life. And I, I want to send a message to the listeners that if they are in trouble, they too can get help. And, and make their lives better. And, uh, you know, I, I don't mind people knowing that I was an addict. And it, it just, it makes me uh, feel like I have a purpose in my life, that I can help other people. That is great. So what are you up to, like, today? Like, what are you going to be doing in the future? What could we, like, basically look forward to seeing from you coming up? Well, we got a new product out from Physically Fit Nutrition. They're called Chicken Snacks. Nice. They're, uh, they're uh, Chex Mix type of texture that's uh, made from chicken breast. And we have a pl- organic plant protein, too. And uh, they have 11 flavors. They're all incredible. And they're high calm. And also my podcast. I've, I started a podcast and, you know, the Kurt Angle Show, and it's doing extremely well. Very grateful for the listeners listening. And uh, I also i am um, getting into acting. I just had two reads uh, this past week. We'll see what happens with that, but uh, just trying to broaden my career beyond wrestling. Now, you keep saying, or you said before how you were tired, I'm retired. You look like you're in great shape. I mean, you just, I've seen pictures, I see it now. I mean, you look like you're in great shape. Are you retired or are you looking to come back? I'm in the best shape of my life, but I'm not going to wrestle. <laughs> no, I'm done with that. I, my boy, Shaquille O'Neal, just texted me today. He said, you need to come to AEW. And I was like, ah, Shaq, I'm not going to do that, my friend. Uh, (laughs) You know, I would love to. 
actually, I mean, if, if I did wrestle again, it would most likely be for WWE, but I, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, you know, AEW was always an option. I just uh, never really considered it uh, because I'm retired. Dr. Tom is uh, a good buddy of mine. I do a show with him as well. You know, he always talks about your praise. We had a whole episode dedicated to you, but he said to me, he goes, you don't get in that good of shape just to hang around. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's all I'm doing is hanging around and I got yeah. the best shape of my life. So uh, you're right. Usually you don't do that. I'm just one yeah. odd individual. And it's funny with the AEW stuff, there's always rumors. They keep like teasing. They keep saying it's true and they keep like teasing you and stuff. So that that's definitely a rumor. I think Shaq is adding to it. Yes. Yes, he is. And I, I've heard the rumors and you know, it's, that's what they are. They're just rumors. And you know, people like to talk, they like to get excited about things. And uh, unfortunately that's not going to happen. Now, with you, easily one of the all-time greats. I mean, you could think of all the great matches. The Rock, Benoit, Lesnar, Steve Austin, uh, The Undertaker, so many great matches. Sting, Jared, Smojo, AJ. I mean, there's just so much to name. Man, it's just great. Do you have a favorite opponent, just to kind of end it on that? Is there somebody? Would it be Benoit? It is Benoit. Shawn Michaels is right up there, and so is AJ. But Benoit was a different breed. He had – he matched – every intensity I had, he was as technical as I was. Um, he was quick, athletic. Uh, he reminded me a lot of me. I felt like I was looking in the mirror and, uh, when we wrestled, we just had incredible chemistry. Great stuff. And please give us all your plugs before we let you go. Your, uh, your social media and everything else. Okay. <laughs> all right. My, um, my Twitter is real at real Kurt angle. And I think my Instagram is at the real Kurt Angle. And I have a Facebook fan page. It's at real Kurt Angle. You almost uh, couldn't remember, right? You almost forgot there for a second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get them mixed up because one, somebody owns the worker, the real Kurt Angle, and wouldn't let me have it. So I had to put the real Kurt Angle in front of it. I think it's my Dude. Oh, it, it's just funny. Like, you are Kurt Angle, so you should own it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, they want me to pay them a bunch of money ten thousand dollars oh jesus christ it was ridiculous yeah but uh kurt thank you so much for all time really appreciate it. you are easily one of the all-time greats there's no doubt about that thank you so much for all the time thank you very much john thanks for having me on this has been a john pause power trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling you could follow us on instagram and twitter at two-man power trip you could check us out on facebook you could subscribe on youtube you can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>